it's Monday, and that so happens to be the day that I like to talk about monsters. Hello, everybody. I am Jeff Arbuckle, and this is Monster Mondays, presented to you by Film Seizure. This week, we're going to take a little scenic trip up to New England, uh, in Rhode Island to be exact, to a little town called Eastwick for a slightly different type of monster movie, and that is 1987's The Witches of Eastwick. Now, uh, we'll talk a little bit about why I chose this movie for this show uh, and what I really kind of see as potentially being uh, what our monster is, of course. But um, this is uh, a based on a 1984 novel by John Updike. And Updike is a particularly uh, important figure in terms of uh, literary achievement and works because he is one of only four writers to have ever won uh, the Pulitzer Prize for fiction twice. Uh, that's a big deal. Uh, and this was also uh, one of two Eastwick novels. He wrote uh, a, a sequel to this uh, that came out right around the time of his death uh, in the early 2000s or in the, I guess it was 2008 or so. Um, he often wrote about three particular themes sex and death which i think are definitely uh represented to a certain degree in this movie and in this novel that he had but also the third and the most strange which is the united states but not in the sense that all of his stories took place in the united states or in a particular town or anything like that but the u.s from a nostalgic perspective the americana the uh, the very things that you sometimes hear people say that they're trying to preserve in our country today. This this kind of uh, idyllic idea of what Americana is. And he used that as a... Um, he mixed that in with the other themes to kind of create um, how some things could be in opposition to those old things that we're trying so desperately to hold on to, um, how sometimes the old things, pres you know, are preserved in different ways and so forth. Um, what I find very interesting about this and the reason why I chose this movie, uh, is that I think that this, if maybe not this movie, but maybe the novel itself ends up becoming extremely, um, influential in other things that uh, that end up kind of following uh, in the 90s and into the 2000s. Uh, in particular, the idea of witch uh, and witchcraft and the witchy kind of coven of a trio of witches or sometimes four witches. Uh, I think that this probably helped uh, things like uh, the craft get made or uh, the TV series Charmed which was incredibly popular uh, in the late 90s and then the early 2000s. I also think that this movie inspired a great deal of another very popular movie only about two witches but, uh, but still nonetheless uh, very light hearted in its tone Practical Magic. Um, in the 90s there were a ton of movies that dealt in some way shape or form of casting spells being in a witch uh, you know being in a coven and being um, you know kind of doing things and kind of making things happen for yourself um, not necessarily horror um, in every regard but in, in a lot of ways uh, I think this movie and, and Updike's novel was particularly 
influential in that. Now, this movie was directed by George Miller. This was his first feature-length movie uh, that was made that was not a Mad Max movie. He did uh, the uh, he did in the Twilight Zone. He did one piece of that anthology, but in terms of an entire movie, this was his first movie outside of the Mad Max universe. Now, of course. Uh, the four Mad Max movies are extremely popular, but uh, this is a huge production for him. So, you know, he went from making essentially what's called Ozploitation with the first Mad Max movie to a kind of bonkers action post-apocalyptic movie with the Road Warrior to then um, a larger kind of more mainstream Hollywood feel with Mad Max Beyond Thunderdome to this and uh it's it's clear to see that he does have uh, a sense of wonder to him a sense of movie making acumen and of course uh after this he would go on to make a really important drama in lorenzo's oil he would then also make uh one of my favorite movies of the 90s babe and he also made the sequel babe pig in the city um you know these are really really wide-ranging types of movies you wouldn't expect the guy who uh, made some of the Mad Max movies make a movie about talking barn animals uh, and make it so good too Um, he is really uh, a very good director and he's also he doesn't make movies year after year after year after year he's uh, he's very um, uh, he's he's almost purposeful and if i'm gonna make a movie i'm gonna spend time to make sure i'm making a good movie and not just cranking stuff out each and every year um the the one thing about this movie is uh, that almost everybody knows will be the stars of the movie um the main star of this movie of course is jack nicholson and he's the other reason why i picked this movie for this show he is a monster uh, in every sense of the word he is a monster in terms of being a misogynistic pig in some scenes and he's quite literally a monster as well uh for being a uh the literal devil (laughs) by the end of this movie he turns into a gigantic monster um so you know he is overpowering in this movie however we also can definitely recognize the trio of witches Cher and susan sarandon are pretty much at the top of their game at this point um susan sarandon had been making movies since the uh, 70s uh had breakout performances and things like um, the rocky horror picture show i think she was also in atlantic city in the early part of the 80s Cher had just recently won an oscar for moonstruck um so she was kind of leaving her sunny and Cher persona in the dust with that and then we also have uh the kind of the young and innocent character in this who is kind of breathes the life into this movie which is michelle pfeiffer and she is kind of in her own trajectory at this stage and then there are two supporting cast people who are no uh strangers to things that could be covered on the show or have been covered on the show veronica cartwright is a steam is a scene stealing uh supporting part uh as kind of the main villain uh from the town not you know who's in direct opposition to jack nicholson who is of course the 
existential villain of the movie. But uh, Veronica, Veronica Cartwright uh, was in Alfred Hitchcock's The Birds as a young girl. And then in the late 70s, she had two back-to-back huge monster movies, one being Invasion of the Body Snatchers from 1978, a very well-regarded remake of uh, the classic 50s movie. Then she was in Alien, of course, was, uh, you know, just a a game changer when it comes to how you can make science fiction truly, truly scary. And it's still, you can still feel the influence of Alien to this day. Uh, Then she was in Candyman, uh, Farewell to the Flesh, which was the sequel to the original Candyman. We've covered that on Film Seizure before. And then in 2007, she was in the most recent version of Invasion of the Body Snatchers, uh, which was just called The Invasion. Um, Then we have, playing her husband in this, Richard Jenkins, who we've seen recently uh, on the show. He was, of course, uh, fantastic in The Shape of Water. And uh, he was had a very bit part at the very beginning of Kong Skull Island. He was the senator that uh, John Goodman had to go and see to get the uh, escort out to Kong Island or to Skull Island, rather. So uh, really quickly, I mean, this movie kind of meets uh, it kind of starts off with an introduction to our three leading ladies. We have Alexandra, who is Cher, who is a frustrated widow. Um, she has a, I think, teenage daughter, um, and she is, uh, you know, very, very frank in the way that she speaks. She is very outspoken. She is very much share. <laughs> um, we also meet Jane, who is Susan Sarandon, who is uh, recently divorced. Uh, she's a music teacher and she's very mousy. We also find out that she, uh, very likely got a divorce because she couldn't bear children. Um, which becomes very important later. Uh, And then Suki, who is Michelle Pfeiffer, who is a mother of six daughters, uh, somehow still energetic to have a full-time career as a writer at the the local newspaper and take care of her kids and get them off to school and uh, take part in all of her extracurricular activities for herself. Um, Like I said, she kind of breathes the life into this movie. Um, But her husband abandoned her for having so many kids. Um, they are uh, unwit- they had unwittingly created a coven. They have certain natural powers that aren't really explained, but they kind of um, they kind of feed a little bit. At one point, they share a, uh, a moment where they are kind of wishing for something to interrupt and stop this really, really boring uh, town event that, is they got this really long and boring speech from this philanderer who had um, uh, has at some point in time made a pass at each one of these three women. And what they end up accidentally creating is a huge thunderstorm that rains out the rest of this boring event and speech. Later that night, they are kind of uh, having cocktails and, and just kind of talking about uh, what they would see as being the perfect man that would come into their life and kind of uh, allow for them to express themselves in different ways. And as they're talking about this, a mysterious man who we later find out to be uh, Daryl Van Horn 
who is Jack Nicholson. Uh, he is speeding into town. He ends up buying this landmark that uh, ruffles the feathers of Veronica Cartwright's Felicia Alden. Um, and uh, as the town uh, meets this man, they aren't able to remember what his name is until at some point the three witches... Uh, three unknowing witches i might add it's always important to understand that they kind of don't really ever think of themselves as witches um but they piece out and figure out the name of this new mysterious man at that point in time it unlocks the memories of everybody else in town who remembers them um, at the same time it creates an accident that ends up uh, causing felicia uh her leg to get broken and as she recovers from that, she begins kind of becoming this religious zealot, saying that there's this devil in town, that evil has uh, is starting to rot this this town out from the inside out like a cancer, and he's got whores that are going to help him, and and uh, they will, you know, he will try to impregnate them so that they so that he can further his uh, his reach by way of his children and so forth. Well, that's exactly what Daryl is trying to do. He begins by uh, seducing Alex by uh, being just as frank as she is and being, uh, you know, uh, speaking his mind in ways that are reprehensible, but it is kind of meeting Alex on her level. And it ends up working uh, on her. And they, uh, he seduces her and then moves on to Jane, who he uses music to bring out the sexual animal inside of her. Um, and she is the one who changes the most. She goes from being uh, mousy and reserved to being very uh, outward and very sexy. And she flaunts her, uh, her sexuality much, much more. Um, and then he uh, seduces, after laying bare that, yes, indeed, he has seduced her friends, he then turns the sights on Suki and seduces her, really, I think, by just being kind and being honest with her. Uh, he is a completely different person when he's speaking to her than he was to the other two. And uh, it, it, it's a really kind of sweet scene because she's like, so you're going to probably try to seduce me too, right? And he just flat out, flat out says, yeah, I am. And she's like, okay, well, that's great. You don't have to get me drunk. You don't have to, to uh, give me drugs or anything. Those things don't work on me. They never explain that. Uh, but she says, um, there is one thing you should probably know. Um, I get pregnant, like, a lot. <laughs> and, uh, you know, it's like pretty much every time she's ever had sex, she has gotten pregnant. Um, to which he's like, oh, I'll keep that in mind. Uh, it's just, it's a very honest scene. And it's, it's very charming between the two of them. Of course, it, you know, and it works on her, too. Which then creates this new... Um, personality for these three they're much more confident they're much more um, assured they feel much more in control even though they're being manipulated um, but they have um, discovered their powers and they and he kind of stokes this inside them too where um, you know they begin to discover that they really do have some powers and it might be coming from him uh, but it is something that they have dabbled with but never really actually confronted that maybe they are witches indeed um 
Things take a dark turn, though, because uh, as Felicia begins to uh, turn the town against the women, they start wishing upon the something bad to happen to her. And Daryl is there to kind of make that happen. And through kind of an unwitting spell that they don't even really know that they're that they're doing, uh, but they're being kind of egged on by Daryl. Um, they end up uh, creating a situation in which uh, Richard Jenkins' character has to kill Felicia uh, because of the way that she's acting and the way that she's kind of lost control and some of his own sadness over her not being the person that she once was, which was stated in an earlier scene. Um, when this happens, they realize, whoa, we gotta, we got to cool it with this stuff. And they try to stay away from Daryl, which uh, makes Daryl kind of devolve into this very desperate person because he needs them uh, to basically bear sons for him to do the things that he's trying to do. And he becomes this kind of pathetic uh, begging man and it's it's kind of uh, it, 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 it turns the power structure on its head because once he starts to use their own fears that he's learned about them against them when they're staying away which also leads to Suki getting really really sick and, and almost dying uh, Alex is uh, understands what he is after and uses it against him so the women end up seducing Daryl and then they are able to learn to take everything that they've learned and basically fight him off in his uh, most crazed and most dangerous versions of himself. That includes a giant uh, demon monster thing at the end of the movie. Um, they do end up giving birth to three sons, but they uh, make it very clear that they are going to uh, do everything that they can to protect their sons from uh, the influence of their father. So, uh, let's talk about the three things I like about the witches of Eastwick. First and foremost, um, this movie has really sharp and smart dialogue. Um, I, I can understand why everybody wants to be in this movie that they got. Um, it, these are all very juicy roles for, um, you know, for the three lead leading ladies it's uh there's something in the text and in the subtext that that provides uh, a very powerful statement about uh female sexuality female uh, uh the ability to uh shake off the shackles of of being tied to a man even though uh there are plenty of scenes in which they are dependent on um on Daryl, they often ask themselves in the middle of scenes, why do we need to ask him about anything? Why can't we just make a decision and do it? Uh, these are things that are not very common in movies, particularly of that time. Um, you know, they, it, it, it kind of marries the idea of being able to be um, very sexual and being very independent at the same time. Um, and it plays out a lot in a lot of really fun scenes and a lot of fun 
uh, dialogue in it. There is one scene in particular that is just so goofy, but it's so charming and so interesting in which uh, Daryl and the three witches are playing tennis and they are at first upset with each other because they're, you know, he seduced them independently, but that, uh, but then they start using some of their powers and they use some of their, so, you know, it's full of these kind of fun scenes like that. But then there's also a lot of scenes of just really smart dialogue, particularly from, um, share. There are some things that, um, Jack Nicholson is saying that you almost sit there and think, Hey, you know, he might have a point there, but then you realize, Oh no, no, he's being a terrible, awful person. He, what he's saying is wrong. And it's very smart in that way that it, that he is also seducing the audience. But then you also have, um, the role for, um, for Veronica Cartwright that is full of these verbose scenes of her shouting and yelling about whores and the devil and all of this stuff that, um, you know, she is kind of uppity at the beginning, but then she goes way, way, uh, way off the rails. And it had to be fun to want to, uh, play these parts with this dialogue. And that also brings me to my second, like, uh, the, the actors in this are just phenomenal. I mean, this is, a powerhouse cast and you know like i said this is george miller uh he, this was only the fourth featured length movie that he had ever made and the fifth movie that he had worked on and he is working with jack nicholson a multiple oscar winner at this time uh multiple oscar nominee susan sarandon uh, michelle pfeiffer who is on her way to the top uh very shortly after this oscar winner share um you know and he is uh, just uh, he is masterfully directing this movie and it's uh, it these are fantastic actors doing fantastic things and doing things that that go back and forth from being somewhat dark to somewhat goofy and comedic and it all mixes to together so well because the cast is so good at understanding of what they're playing then thirdly um there's one element to this movie that I picked up on immediately at the beginning. And I think it ties back to John Updike and his, uh, his love of Americana. And that is the cinematography in this movie. There is something about these movies that came out in the second half of the eighties and the first half of the nineties. I don't know if it was just the styles of the time or if it was the cameras of the time, or if it was the film stock itself, but there are things that were, if you gave me a frame of movies like this one, that just is a shot of the scenery, I could tell you this is most definitely made anywhere from 1986 to 1995. I don't know what it is, uh, but it, and maybe it's my own personal connection and the subconsciousness of knowing I'm watching a movie from 1987. Um, it takes place in a small town and it all melds into this very, uh, this beautiful landscape that they shoot the small town that's surrounded by practically nothing. And of course the mansion that, that uh, Daryl buys is out in the middle of nowhere. It's there, there is, and, but it's more than that. It's the color of 
the grass or the sky or the composition of the shot or how uh, it, you know the camera is uh, doing overhead shots as opposed to a crane shot or or a, or opposed to a shot where you have the actors up front and you see the mansion way off in the background there is something so very 80s about this in all of the right ways that I appreciate and I uh, I have a hard time not loving movies that, that appreciate the way that it's shooting its locations, its landscape, it's, it's everything. And it is a gorgeous movie. And the whole time I'm sitting there thinking, man, I want to, I want to live in the small Rhode Island town, even though there are some weirdos there who are going to, you know, be worried that because I'm the new guy in town, that I'm a, you know, some sort of demon or something that's that's come to uh, mess up the town and seduce their ladies. Trust me, I would be doing these things. But what I'm getting at is is that I would want to live in this town, even with the weirdos and all of the um, gossip that would go around in the small town of 7,500 people. Um, it just makes for a wonderful viewing experience. It, it, it triggers all the right things in my brain. And... I, I love when movies are shot like that. Even if I don't end up really liking the movie, this movie I did like very much. But if it was a movie that I, if I didn't end up liking this movie, I would still think that the that the scenery and that the cinematography was gorgeous. So that wraps up this week's Monster Mondays. Now, don't forget to check out new episodes of Film Seizure every Wednesday morning. And you get new installments of Monster Mondays each Monday afternoon on filmseizure.com. You can also find these shows uh, places where you can find other fine podcasts like SoundCloud, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, TuneIn, Spotify, Audible. Hell, we even upload uh, the, the episodes to YouTube, so you can check that out as well. You can also hop on over to Facebook and Twitter to follow us by just searching for Film Seizure. And while you're at it, head over to my website, bmovieenema.com. You can read new text articles each and every Friday morning. You can also follow B Movie Enema on Facebook and Twitter by searching for just that, B Movie Enema. And hey, while you're at it, use that same search term, put it into the search bar in YouTube and follow the B Movie Enema channel where you can find episodes of B Movie Enema the series where I host a full length movie. Um, season one is up there already. Season number two starts September 11th. So be ready for that. So until next week, stay spooky.